Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Living on Blockchain. Today we are speaking to Ethan Liu. Ethan Liu has, you know, he's been a journalist, he's written two books, he's written a book of the pandemic and more interestingly because that's more relevant to this podcast, he has a new book coming out which is called Once Bitcoin Miner, Candle and Turmoil in the Cryptocurrency Wild West. So it's actually the premise of it and the kind of anecdotes that Ethan has brought to the table with his experiences are very fascinating. He once visited North Korea as well as a part of a delegation to attend a crypto conference. So I do believe that this was a real fun conversation showing us another side to North Korea as well. So yeah, let's let's deep dive right in. Hi, Ethan. Thank you so much for taking out the time to speak to me today. How are you doing? I am well, Tarusha. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for taking out the time. Now, you know, just for our listeners, would you like to give a little bit of background about yourself? Right. So I am a journalist. I write a column in this Canadian newspaper called the Financial Post. For that, I wrote for Reuters. And I think we all contain multitudes. So I am also a bit of a crypto guy. I invested oh. in Bitcoin in 2013. And nice. I, I wrote a book about my journey. It's uh, been a, quite a, a wild ride. And it's called Once a Bitcoin Miner. Oh, okay. That, that's interesting. So uh, could, you, could you tell me a little about this book? Is it out yet or is it going to be launched sometime soon? Yeah, it just came out. And okay. it's, yeah, it's basically about uh, my adventures in this space, uh, starting out investing. And I have met uh, one of the co-founders of Ethereum and I ended up in North Korea with uh, Virgil Griffith who uh, pleaded guilty to wow. helping North Korea in September. And so it's mm-hmm. a narrative nonfiction. And I think lots of books, they tackle this crypto idea from the perspective of monetary policy or computer science. But here, I try to look at it from the perspective of a human condition. Right. Wow, that's very, very interesting. Like, so, you know, uh, so I can just go on Amazon and order a book. Like, is that possible? Yes, but I would tell people that uh, try to order it from your local independent bookstore. They all have the same yeah. distribution systems. I'm a little against this whole big tech dominance. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That I can understand. Uh, it's available on your website as well, right? Uh, EthanLu.com. You can directly buy it from there too. Does that take you to Amazon or do you have like... Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, the, oh, the link okay. on my website actually takes you to Amazon. But <laughs> okay. okay. There, so, there is another yeah. link to a crypto shop. So there's a shop in Canada that actually accepts Bitcoin for it. Right. Oh, wow. That's very interesting. Okay. So, you know, it'll be great if we could share that link perhaps after this recording and we could put it in the description here and, you know, our listeners can get it through that particular link if that particular bookstore is shipping it. Otherwise, if they're local there in Canada itself, then they can, you know, go and get it with Bitcoin. So that'd be like uber cool. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. So tell me a little more, like, how did you get into uh, this entire, you know, crypto space you, you talk about, like, you know, you've covered, you've, you've been to North Korea and, you know, you, you kind of, you were a journalist. How, how did this space start intriguing you? Because you're one of the OGs, right? Like you invested really early. Like that's the same time when I kind of got into the space, but not professionally. Like I was tinkering with the mining rigs because I was already like running a data center and I thought that okay you know we already have a lot of hardware here let's see what can we do with it and uh, that that's the same time around when I got into this space Uh, but I would love to know a little bit more about your journey 
Yeah, it, your your story about the data center that's very fascinating because <laughs> I think we all have different such stories. Everyone has a different journey, and yeah. for me, it actually started on the dark web. So this one time, my friends and I, we were it was my second year of university, and we were just on the dark web and just really for no good reason. It was my first time there. I just wanted to see see what's up yeah. with it, and. Yeah. I saw that you know what people bought and sold on the dark web. They were all using Bitcoin for that. That was the first time I heard of the name Bitcoin, and uh-huh. but it took me a while. It took me like a whole year to to actually start investing in it. Okay, okay, and but you know that that is kind of what piqued your uh, interest, and that's how you got into crypto. This this is amazing. So you know a little more about your book, perhaps, so that listeners can actually perhaps you can you know read out the blurb or something. a little more about it yeah so in the beginning i interviewed someone who would go on to be the co-founder of ethereum anthony diorio and right. that was one of the factors that made me invest in bitcoin eventually and mm. but at the time that there was still no ethereum and then right. i i would go on to interview him throughout the years and i had quite a bit of bitcoin but then 2015 there was a big crash actually right. started in 2014 but reached the bottom in 2015 but i ended up buying more back then and i ended up making quite a bit of money in 2017 and i was in this during the ico boom that that's the period you're talking about right yeah that was an absolutely crazy period right if you remember yeah 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 and so, I, i was go ahead yeah i i was just going to say i was in this little uh this oil town in canada that we compare this to the texas of canada and mm-hmm. it was a bit of a wild west space so all sorts of characters and wild <laughs> times wild stories and it was there that i ended up deciding to go to north korea because they ended up holding a conference and right. and how I, was that experience and what is north korea's perspective on you know crypto that, that was a wild experience uh, but it right. was totally unexpected so mm. North Korea as you know it lots of allegations of human rights abuses and the world just doesn't like North Korea so yeah. it is subject to lots of sanctions right, and right. so crypto is theoretically a way to get out of those sanctions because it's outside the traditional financial system so North Korea it's been accused of doing lots of shady stuff with crypto uh, lots of hacking stealing lots of coins yeah and yeah so When North Korea uh, announced its conference, I, I thought this is like a golden opportunity for me to go see for myself uh, what everything is about. And turns out it, it wasn't the sort of conference I had in mind. But uh-huh. and I didn't. It ended up being quite unspectacular, although I unspectacular crypto wise, but it was a very eye opening experience in North Korea. And afterward. Yeah. completely out of the blue to me at least someone who was with me uh, Virgil Griffith he is the head of special projects at the Ethereum Foundation he got mm-hmm. arrested in Thanksgiving of 2019 right right okay yeah so it must have been like really insightful like uh, as you mentioned that you know you, you you're in, there's a huge cultural difference right and then you know it, the perspective of uh, of a country that is actually you know mostly been kind of singled out uh, in a way and it's very isolated so yeah that must have been a very very interesting you know space to be in are there any like crypto regulations like in north korea like uh, just for the country them itself oh I, 
I don't think so because I, I don't think ordinary North Koreans they they use crypto. Ordinary North Koreans they don't even have the internet. But right. yeah. the North Korean government it's been accused of uh, because North Korean hackers they are well known across the world. They are, North Korea is right. actually very good at hacking. They rank among mm. like China and Russia, and so they have been uh, accused of stealing lots of coins, and so. I thought at the conference we were going at least like taking presentations from the North Koreans. We thought we'd get to interact with their crypto people, but it yeah. turns out that they told us that we were supposed to be the presenters to present to the North Koreans. <laughs> okay, that's quite a ton of events. Okay, how did that go? That was the strangest thing, and so Virgil, uh, I think he was. He knew he was going to be a speaker. He was different from the rest of us because he's a big shot at okay. Ethereum. But the rest right. of us, we were just thinking, well, what is going on? Why are we asked to be presenters? But I ended up declining. But some oh, people okay. spoke, mm-hmm. and they basically made up their stuff just a day or two beforehand. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was like a dog and pony show. I I don't think we ever wow. interacted with the crypto people. It was like an event put on for show, like a cultural right. exchange kind of thing. And uh, what was said at the conference, it was very surface level stuff. It's like crypto one hundred one. You can look up the information on Wikipedia. Okay, and, the very basic, basically. They were just trying to cover the very foundational grounds. Yeah, so that was why I was very surprised to see Virgil Griffith arrested, and he was accused of uh, helping North Korea evade sanctions by delivering that talk. Wow. Okay. Okay. So you know, it kind of obviously didn't end well uh, there on that that level. But it's it's good that you know you you got like a newer perspective, perhaps. So, but yeah, it's unfortunate that you didn't meet anybody, you know, who was involved in crypto because that would have been really really interesting, right? Because again, you know, very isolated country. So I, I'm assuming that it would give a very nice different perspective. Oh yeah, but you know, in retrospect, I don't think that they would show that really highly secret crypto stuff to mm. just random foreigners like us. And yeah, yeah. but this is also why I feel I think Virgil Griffith he, he might have broken the letter of the law, but I don't think he should have been prosecuted in this way, particularly given that I, I don't think he actually benefited North Korea in any way. Right. Yeah. Okay. There's there's a lot of like opaqueness, you know, when it comes to North Korea and how people sort of perceive North Korea. Like everybody loves hating that particular country, and you know, again, there are some people who say that obviously it's been, oh, you know, the kind of perspective that the Western media, the spin that the Western media puts on North Korea might be a little exaggerated. But then again, you know, it's uh, these are all claims. It's all speculation. Uh, you know, hearsay from, you know, the one side has a take and, you know, everybody else has another take. So you've written another book, right? During the pandemic, you've written a, a book called a Field Notes from a Pandemic. How did that come about and what is that about? Right. So that book was a complete accident. So mm-hmm. this current book, the Bitcoin book, it was written, it was supposed to be out last year. But at okay. the beginning of the year, I was uh, traveling and this was like a day before the first city was quarantined. It was a day before they sealed off Wuhan. And, right. and so but my grandfather at the time was dying. And I was on the plane. And literally while I was on the plane, uh, they sealed off the city. And so I just arrived to a totally different world. And right. so, yeah, I feel this from my, my travels amid the pandemic. 
Wow, okay. That's so scary, right? But the pandemic has kind of changed traveling uh, entirely. I think for so long, for people like us who used to travel a lot, we, you know, we were kind of just stuck at home. And uh, so, you know, your your take is obviously it's more, more scarier that, you know, the uh, while you were on route, the city was kind of locked up. So then then exactly what, what were you quarantined? Uh, how did that go? Oh, no, I didn't go to Wuhan. I was, I was going to like a city outside Beijing. I... I Okay. When Wuhan was quarantined, like the, I guess the whole country was put on alarm, and yeah. and uh, I think they were while I was there in Beijing, uh, they they were shutting down lots of things. They were closing down schools, or at least they were closing mm. down the school that I, I saw, and mm. restaurants. Uh, they were stopping people from dining in. But quite honestly, I would say that because I I lived through SARS in Asia. And I, mm. I thought this wouldn't be worse than SARS. I, I definitely did not expect it to engulf the world that in the way that it did. Yeah, I think none of us saw that coming. I think, you know, even I've lived through SARS in, in Asia and, you know, we kind of, initially that is the perception that was created by the media as well, right? That it's, it's going to be like SARS and, you know, it'll be contained. But then it kind of obviously got away from all of us and it's been really hard. Um, so, okay, now to, you know, perhaps happier and better things. Tell me about, you know, your opinion on all of these new things that are, you know, popping up in the crypto space since, you know, you, you've been around for a really long time. What is your take on NFTs and the metaverse? Well, I am very optimistic about crypto's role in this because mm. like we talked about earlier in Amazon, I, I'm very wary of uh, big tech dominance. And I mm. think when Facebook announced that it was changing its name and going right. into the metaverse, I think that is something quite scary because Facebook, it already dominates our, our lives in so many ways. Uh, all these yes. tech companies, uh, like for example, the Financial Times had a story about how the smart assistant Alexa, how it selectively curates the news that it puts out to people and how right. that affects their worldviews. And yep. for lots of people in the global South, Facebook offers like a free internet program. So, but it's a limited form of the internet that Facebook curates. So essentially their entire internet experience is Facebook. And yeah. so these companies, they affect your perception of reality. So in a way, I think the metaverse is already here. And when Facebook yeah. does this, it's really on a path to gaining more control. And I think crypto decentralization, and I think the metaverse is inevitable, but decentralization is a way to achieve a more egalitarian metaverse. Absolutely. I think, you know, now the big tech is kind of getting into it in a big way, but that kind of comes with its own kind of concerns, like, you know, that are fed by people like us, that the entire idea of crypto and blockchain is decentralization, right? And if somebody like a Facebook is getting into this space, then uh, you have to be a little wary. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. What about like, you know, uh, what are the promising projects that, you know, you are looking at and, you know, you, you think that they're going to be doing really well and you're rooting for them? So I, I would point to this thing called, I, I guess everyone knows what it is, Shapeshift. But what, <laughs> what Shapeshift is doing, that really piqued my interest. Uh, a while back, it said mm. it was going to dissolve its corporate structure. It's going to right. become a DAO. Right. And I think this will be the bellwether test, like how, how shapeshift will function, whether it will endure and whether it will achieve the founder's goals. Because the founder has publicly said that the reason it is becoming a DAO is to thwart the regulators. So, and 
whether this succeeds or not, I think it, it, it will either dampen enthusiasm for DAOs or spur other DAOs. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, you, you, you're right. What Shapeshift is doing and then the kind of like uh, the way the founder has come out and said that, that kind of be a way to invite some more trouble, but uh, they're going out of their way to actually complete this entire cycle, like from a company to becoming a DAO. I think, you know, it's a sign of maturity than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think uh, running a DAO is, is, is pretty challenging. If you, you probably remember the, the great hack that, uh, that caused Ethereum to, to split off into two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that is there. That it comes with its own challenges, and especially because, you know, this entire, all of these concepts are so new, right? There is no manual or handbook that people can actually go back to and go like, okay, yeah, let me follow these and, you know, I'll be safe. There is no manual and everybody's just sort of doing the best that they can. But yes, you know, I, I think that what, what you said regarding Shapeshifter, they're definitely a platform to watch out for. Okay, tell me a little more about the thought leaders that you follow, like, you know, perhaps on Twitter or elsewhere, or you think that, you know, the people who are actually disseminating the right kind of information about crypto, because there is a lot of hot air in this space as well, right? Uh-huh. Well, you, usually when people ask me who I follow on Twitter, I say Niraj, uh, Niraj mm. Agrawal, because I, I find him very right. funny. Yeah, he is, <laughs> he's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but I, I generally uh, f- follow the, I, I don't think I follow that many influ- uh, like uh personalities you know i mm. I, t- I tend to follow new new sources and journalists more like uh journalists like from coindesk and the block right yeah those can be you know it's like getting factual news you can be absolutely sure that no you know they're not really trying to perhaps create FOMO because the market is at least nowadays and it has been for a while it's been controlled a lot by influencers right oh yeah so i I have a story to tell you. So I, I read this from a, a crypto journalist and he said uh-huh. he was getting his hair cut and uh-huh. one of the other barbers that was talking about crypto. So okay. he asked the barber, like, uh, what news sources uh, do you read? And the mm. barber said he doesn't read anything, but he uh, watches this YouTube channel by a guy called BitBoy. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, so it's, it's pretty dangerous. Yeah, that is dangerous. You know, that that is what happens, right? There is like, uh, you know, we, recently we had that, the token inspired by Squid Game, right? And it was so obviously, uh, you know, a rug pull and so many people kind of uh, invested in it. I think it's it's a lot about people just, you know, having FOMO and, and following these influencers and people, you know, perhaps the wrong kind of people. Uh, you know, and they kind of invest and with retail coming mm-hmm. in, I, I guess that was kind of bound to happen. But then again, it's like, you know, you have to do your own research. Oh, yeah. I, I read that there's, there's a guy in China, he lost his entire life savings in Squid Game. Wow. Yes. And because crypto trading is technically illegal in China, he couldn't, he felt he couldn't even go to the police or anything. He had like just no recourse. But right. I, I guess if he went to the police, he still wouldn't have any recourse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can't really have a recourse here in this case. But any which way, like doing your own research is very, very important. That is why I keep telling people that, you know, if you're going to be investing and putting your hard-earned money into something, then like any other investment, you need to be thinking, you know, and you need to be sort of doing your research, making sure that the product is sound and, you know, the token has like a sound base, the, the vision of the founders really carry throughs. All of those are important points. And, you know, what is strange is that 
people usually do a lot of due diligence when they make uh, they can kind of invest anywhere but somehow you know with crypto i, I don't know i feel like people are more uh, they they are a little more reckless right yeah and oh so i i have another story to tell you so i read this on reddit and there's a guy who says uh, he's talking to a friend and the friend has bought bitcoin from very long ago and now has one whole coin and hmm. everyone was very excited because that's a lot of money but until the friend said oh the bitcoin that i bought was ethereum and wow. i think i i think lots of retail investors people jumping to this space they think uh just because two coins they both exist as coins they have something deeply in common whereas i i think one coin and another they can be as different as as a as a stock market index versus like a small cap company trading on an obsc- obscure exchange absolutely absolutely you know it's it's so important and somehow you know people kind of just forget the first role while they get into crypto i i believe it might just be because you know there is just so much noise around it but i i believe that it might be like a sign of you know markets maturing as well people are uh, there'll always be i think you know uh, con men and scamsters in every space but uh, then again because uh, all of this is happening it kind of culminates into that you know the end user would perhaps become a little more aware of where he's putting his money oh yeah i really hope so but at the yeah. same time i i also see just history just repeating itself cuz i remember true. all of this happening in 2017 if you you remember the whole yep. bit connected yeah There was this thing called iPro what like I walked into one of its events once and there was this guy literally quoting bible verses uh trust in the lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding wow wow okay <laughs> yeah i know but yeah you you're right you know the kind of hype that we have seen i think it's basically cyclical that you know we keep seeing this kind of hype being created and then there is boom and then there is a bust um uh, but i'm i'm still hopeful that you know people are because now there is more retail interest i feel that you know people should become more aware as well uh, and i can only hope that they do because otherwise crypto gets a bad name oh yeah absolutely i uh, i definitely hope so so now uh isn't for you know people who are perhaps peering in from the outside uh, and you know they want to perhaps get into crypto and blockchain uh what would be your two th- you know two three suggestions for them uh to not feel intimidated and do this right to start living on blockchain uh well i i would say that i think going into crypto if you invest in established coins mm. that's one level up uh like one step into the unknown from traditional investing and within crypto if you want to move into like shiba inu or something like that that's one level up from uh say bitcoin and ethereum so okay. i would always encourage people to jump one level but you probably should never jump two at a time that that's really sound advice what about the people who are you know intimidated by this space they feel that it's just for the nerds and you know they don't they don't seem to feel that they'll find space in it mhm well i i i think i i would say that I think most people uh, they can't explain uh, what SMTP is okay. you, you know uh but you know you you use that every day in your email protocol exactly. and so yeah. perhaps you you don't need to understand all the nuts and bolts like uh, what is an electron and which way does it flow in the wire you know mm. I, I don't know but uh, I I use electricity yeah. 
So uh, maybe people need to see the the utility uh, rather than hear the the technical explanations. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. I think that is something I say a lot as well. That you know, you don't necessarily need to understand all the you know, as you said, nuts and bolts in crypto, but you know, you you can understand how much it's sort of solving a greater problem here by creating this parallel economy and you know something that to counter the traditional financial system that is already there. So I, I think that you know we would reach that point of mass adoption perhaps when you, you know the the entire experience for the end user is seamless and they don't even know that they're actually uh, doing something that that is using blockchain at the end. What do you think? Oh yeah, like well, I I wouldn't cite this as a as a positive example, but this is an example of I think the central bank digital currency in China, and I don't think it actually runs on a blockchain, but I people are gonna use it every day, and mm. then you know they without necessarily knowing how what's under the hood. Absolutely, absolutely. So you know, what do you think is gonna be the next big thing uh, in this space? Any, any guesses? Anything well, that you put your money on? Well, since I just brought up China, I, I think I don't think this is something that you can put money in. But I think central bank digital currencies are are going to be a big thing because there is a geopolitical implication in that as well. Because that is something that erodes dollar dominance. That's true, I think. But you know, uh, CBDCs that they're like it's like going down a slippery road, right? I feel that kind of takes away a little from the decentralized aspect also because of certain kind of executions that we have seen like you know you gave the example of china but in- interestingly what you know you were just saying regarding to counter the uh, you know the dollar dominance i do believe that uh, cbdc's are going to become really big oh yeah and i, I i'm not saying i think it's a positive thing but i i just think mm. that they're going to be big i, I think China's central bank digital currency in particular going to have huge ramifications uh, people's privacy there. That's, that's true. That's absolutely true. Okay. So Ethan, thank you so much for, uh, you know, uh, taking out the time to speak to me and give, give, you know, to give our listeners this interesting insight. I'm sure that a lot of our listeners would want to read your book, especially, you know, because, you know, you've got to visit North Korea and uh, attend one of the conferences there. Any parting thoughts before we wrap this up? Uh, no, I, I think you pretty much covered everything. It was, it was a great pleasure appearing here. Thank you so much, Ethan. Thank you. Bye.